So what's the difference between a manager and a leader? Plenty of people have a desire to become a manager in the workplace, and that may well be you, but some mistake the manager bit for the leading people bit. In fact, often if somebody says to me, oh, Tom, I really want to be a manager, there's a part of me thinking, seriously, you want to be a manager? You know, that's potentially 10 sets of personalities and 10 sets of problems, each wanting your time and considering themselves and their issues to be more important than another's. It's a really tough job. It's hard work. And you're also having to juggle a ton of other things in order to deliver results. So what's the difference? Well, managers plan things and organise. They control processes and systems, making sure things, in inverted commas, are working to their optimum performance. For some, that all sounds super sexy. For others, well, kind of dull. Let me bring this to life with John Adair's action-centred leadership. It's a leadership model created in the 70s, but it's still relevant today. His research highlighted the challenges faced by those who manage others. Think about it from your own perspective. There's the accountability you've got for the numerous tasks that require delivery. Add to that the focus you need to have on ensuring your team work together as a team. And then, of course, there's the individuals who make up the team. So a whole bunch of different personalities and skill sets. All these areas require equal focus, which, of course, can be hugely challenging. For example, what if a new project comes your way from your boss? So your boss delegates something to you. And the complexity of that brand new thing that's headed in your direction diverts your attention from your team focus. Now, what if the team isn't currently equipped to meet the demands of this new project? Well, there's another potential shift of focus. And let's also throw into the mix a member of your team who's currently underperforming. Well, <laughs> there you go. Uh, yet another demand on your time and focus. It's one giant balancing act with no easy answer. Clearly, aiming for that sweet spot in the middle is the way to go. But of course, that's easier said than done. Don't worry, though. That is what this leadership podcast, program, whatever you want to call it, is here to help with. I promise you'll get answers. Obviously, though, it's going to be down to you to put all of this stuff into practice. So let's get back to leadership. What is it then? What does leadership consist of? Well, if you want others to follow you, even when you've a vision others aren't entirely bought into, you're going to need to be comfortable setting direction, communicating with clarity, being persuasive and have confidence in making decisions. And of course, don't forget, others may not always agree with them. <laughs> so what skills are going to help us with that? Well, your ability to connect with people at all levels will be a great start. What do I mean by that? Well, that's genuinely wanting to better understand your team members, who they are, what they're about, what it is that mentally stimulates them. Because if you can get that right, you're going to be on the right path to developing highly motivated, high performing individuals. Now, none of this is to say you're trying to be everyone's mate because you're not. The respect you derive will come from your humility, your passion, your drive, your reliability. You know, the list goes on. It'll come down to your ability to see in others more than they see in themselves. Coach, inspire, be a role model. These are the things your team will look up to you for. Let me expand on this. Are you familiar with the leadership research by Avolio and Bass? The model's called transformational leadership. Now, if you're not, it doesn't matter. And if you are, well, um, uh, you're about to hear it again. <laughs> so what they highlight as part of this model is what's called the four I's. Individual consideration, 
intellectual stimulation, inspirational motivation, and idealised influence. Let me bring this to life. Imagine for a moment uh, a member of your team that you've taken time to get to know, and through doing so, you're aware that they love video editing outside of work. Now, let's pretend a project comes your way and it's going to involve the creation of a video to be placed on your company's intranet. Knowing what you know about this person and their interest in video editing, this would be an ideal opportunity to tap into their skills and through doing so, intellectually stimulate them. This has the potential to create motivation because you've demonstrated individual consideration. It's a quick win, has low potential for pushback and is likely to require little persuasion. Now, I'm sure, given time, you'd be able to identify past or future opportunities you've had where this has or could have worked. Before I move on, though, the idealised influence element, that relates to you as leader role modelling the qualities of great leadership. Let's just imagine for one moment I was somebody senior in your organisation and I was making a big announcement about a brand new leader recently recruited. Hi, everybody. Unbelievably great news. After months of research, we finally narrowed it down and we've got a brand new CEO to lead our business. You'll be thrilled to learn that they're unethical, domineering, callous, unsupportive, emotionally cold, they don't listen, have rubbish interpersonal skills and they only think of themselves. Great news, eh? <laughs> Quite clearly, I'm being utterly ridiculous. But the point I'm making, these are the qualities that none of us would want in a leader. And I'll be blown away if you'd be excited about ever wanting to work for somebody like this. So let's just do that again. And here's an alternative version. Hi, everybody. I've got great news. After months of research, we finally found somebody to lead our business. They're approachable, honest, inspirational, innovative. They're a great communicator. They genuinely listen. They're empathetic, humble, visionary, and they go out of their way to make time for others. Now, I'm hoping these are qualities you'd be keen to emulate as a leader. And I've no doubt many other qualities uh, could be added to that list as well. Actually, here's one. How much would you love to be led by somebody who was completely disorganised? Now, I'm figuring the answer is a big, hmm, yeah, not much, Tom. The point is, we know what great leadership looks like. The question, from your perspective, is how many of these qualities do you demonstrate day to day? And from which list are they drawn? Let's not pretend when we're up against it, the pressure is on and deadlines are looming, it can be really easy to fall into the trap of letting our standards slip. So take a moment now. What is it that you need to work on to become the leader you were always meant to be? What one area could you focus on that will create the biggest change for you personally? I think it's also worth highlighting here a word that often crops up when leadership is explored. Trust. So what is trust? What's it made up of? If we don't know, how can we be sure we're acting in ways that invoke trust? There's actually what's called the trust equation. It's made up of credibility, so walking your walk and talking your talk, reliability, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, and intimacy, your ability to uh, maintain confidence when people share sensitive information with you. So how might this look in the workplace? Well, imagine you're leading a team. And as a collective, you've all agreed on what's called a team charter, an agreement between everyone that whenever there's a team meeting, 
Nobody is to turn on their laptops until all the actual points have been discussed, thereby ensuring all remain focused. However, because you're super important when you turn up and you've got your laptop on and you've got your phone buzzing away beside you, so you're not walking your walk, you're not talking your talk, you're not doing what everybody else is doing, you're not role modelling. Then it's reliability. So imagine for one moment you're my boss and you email me and you ask if I'm free to catch up next week to provide an update on a project that I'm working on. So I reply, yeah, sure, no worries, and agree to the meeting. But there's a part of me thinking, I know that come Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to get an email from you telling me how busy you are and that you're going to have to push that meeting back to the following week. And surprise, surprise, Wednesday, Wednesday comes around and what do I find in my inbox? An email from you saying you need to push that meeting back to the following week. Now, I get it. In the corporate world, there'll always be times when we have to react to the unexpected. But if you've got form for constantly rearranging things and not following through on promises, then you're chipping away at the trust others have in you. Finally, there's intimacy. What we're talking about here is, well, let's say I was underperforming and you were my boss and I caught up with you and said, look, I've got stuff going on at home right now. I'm, I'm working on it. I appreciate I've been missing deadlines and not been performing at my best. Please, can you just give me a little bit of time, maybe to, to you know, the start of next month? I, I promise you I'll have things sorted. Now, you show me you're supportive and not in the right places. But later on, I hear you talking to others, sharing my issues, and that's chipping away even further at the trust that I have in you. Now, that's all well and good, and you might be able to Look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, absolutely, I'm credible, I'm reliable, and I maintain others' confidences, which is fantastic. However, the equation is credibility, reliability, and intimacy over self-interest, which is to say you can be doing all of these things, but if the reasons you're doing them is simply for your own benefit, you're just box-ticking because you're trying to scale a corporate ladder, then I'll see right through that. And I'm pretty sure you've probably come into contact with individuals who play that game within the workplace. How much did you trust them? So take a moment now to pause. Have a little think. Are you able to tick all those boxes? Is that you on a day-to-day basis within the workplace? Or can you be guilty of not applying these behaviours consistently? If so, what actions can you take? One final thought before we end this session. Let me ask you a question. Your desire for leadership, are you seeking it because it represents authority? It empowers you with power and control? Or have you been called to it because you've a clear vision as to an outcome that will benefit others and make a difference to those around you? Your answer to those questions will probably go a long way in how others perceive you as their leader. It's just food for thought. Now, as part of the next podcast, we'll delve into the Uh, model by Hershey and Blanchard called Situational Leadership. And uh, it's a model that's used extensively within the corporate world. And you'll get to identify your preferred leadership style. And if you're interested, I this session, this podcast that you're listening to right now, I've also got as a lesson on Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y, And if you type in my name, Tom Dunman, into Udemy, you'll find this session there. And uh, if you prefer your video rather than the podcast, then uh, go there and check it out. Otherwise, I will go and see you in uh, uh, the second podcast. See you soon.